Well, good morning, everybody. Great to hear from you. If you're joining us online, everybody in Alma, we love you. We're thrilled to be together. I'm going to start off with a little story, and I have a smile on my face because I'm slightly concerned because I think it's hilarious, but my wife often tells me, you know, you think things are funny and nobody else thinks things are funny. So I got this little story, true story about my grandfather, and you have to bear with me because as I tell you the story, you might be like, pastor's lost it, I'm leaving this church, I'm walking out right now. So my, my grandfather, who's gone to be with the Lord many years, he was a bit of a character and liked probably a little bit of attention. And I'm not even joking you. He would wait until he was in a public place, like a restaurant or down some aisle in a grocery store with his wife. <laughs> this, this is what he would sing out loud in front of everybody. He didn't care. He'd go, he'd go out loud. This is so bad. <laughs> My wife's a cow. And uh, you know, he, like heads are turning. My wife's a cow. And then my grandmother would be like, like rolling her eyes like, ah, oh, this again. My wife's a cowkeeper's daughter. So he thought it was hilarious. And everyone's looking at him. His second favorite song, I think, was, and this is an oldie, Oh Lord, it's so hard to be humble. Do you guys know this one? When you're perfect in every... Very good. And he would sing it. He'd go out loud. I mean, he was just a character. And he, so he had these songs, and he thought he was hilarious. No one else was laughing. He was laughing. I think I kind of laughed a little bit. But that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about humility. And if you're already sitting here going, I don't need to hear this message. In fact, I know somebody else who should really be here today. Then this message is perfectly for you. So I want to start off by looking at a few very little brief scriptures. I want to ask you the question. What on earth do you think Jesus meant when he said this? It's Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But what did Jesus mean when he said that? Blessed are the meek. First of all, nobody says that word anymore anyway. When's the last time you were in a conversation with somebody and they said the word meek in any context at all? What does it even mean? Well, to be meek is to be someone who's a little kind of gentle, and they probably wouldn't have an issue if you were to impose on them. In fact, they probably wouldn't mind at all. They're happy to submit to other people, and there's a quietness to them. And Jesus says, when you're like that, you're blessed. Why? When you're like that, in fact, you're going to inherit the earth. That's a massive blessing in your life. What about this one? It's Matthew 20. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That doesn't make any sense now, does it? Who out there do you know in this world that is preaching this idea that if you want to get ahead in life, you have to be like a slave to other people? Doesn't add up. Third one, chapter 23, same book. The greatest among you will be your servant. Same stuff. Jesus, what are you getting at? I mean, you think about somebody who's great. You think about somebody who probably has it all together. And my mind, just my imagination, would go to certainly somebody who has a ton of resources. Like maybe they've got a big job. Maybe they're very influential. They're in charge of people. Maybe they've got tons of money. If you're in that situation, you tell other people what to do. You pay people money, and they do things for you. The greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus, what are you getting at? One author, a fellow by the name of Alan Bond, he puts it like this. The bigger I grow in God, 
So like maturity and I'm getting closer to God, I know more about God. The bigger I grow in God, he says, the smaller I become. He's talking about humility. I would say to you today that the holy man is a humble man. The holy woman is a humble woman. Look at this scripture. It's an absolute favorite. If you know the Bible at all, like some people have like memorized this one. If you're new to the Bible, like this is such a beautiful passage. It's Matthew 11. It says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, again, if, if, you've, like, if you're hearing that for the first time, isn't that just a lovely verse? Isn't it like full of encouragement and love for us? If you have read the Bible or you've been in church maybe for any period of time and you've bumped into that one, like some, some of us might even have memorized that one because it's so nice because it's got all this talk about, you know, if life's hard and stressful and there's weight on you, Jesus seems to be saying, like, I want you to come to me. I'm going to help you with that weight. I'm going to give you rest. And everything inside of us goes, oh, wow, I really like that. Here's what I want to do. I want to read you that verse one more time. I'm going to slow down just a pinch because I'm utterly convinced that there's a few words in that verse that is probably familiar to many of us that we actually miss. We read it and there's stuff that we really gravitate to in those words, but there's stuff in there that we just kind of glance over. I want to read it to you one more time and I want you to see if you can detect what we tend to glance over in this verse. Listen to it carefully. Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you think you caught it? Now, these, this is Jesus. These are his direct words. The piece for me that's kind of actually right in the middle that I think we slide past because we love the stuff like your life is hard and difficult. We're like, yes, it is. And I'm going to help you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But look at what it says in the middle. He says, I want you to learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and humble in heart. And I think we miss that. Another version says, I want you to learn from me. And here's this word again, because I am meek. I am lowly in heart. So the holiest, most powerful voice ever says this. I'm meek and I'm lowly of heart. The most powerful voice ever. Holiness, I believe, is a product of grace. Trace, uh, track with me on this. You are holy. You have good standing with God. You've been made right with God simply because of the grace that he gives you. Yeah? Give me an amen on that. It's like, God, thank you for your grace. He's like, I've got this treasure chest of undeserved riches for you. My love, my patience, my forgiveness. This is my grace. And that is how I today am in good standing with God to which I say, Lord, thanks for your grace. Holiness is a product of grace. The question is, who does God give grace to? Perhaps even more strikingly, who does God not give grace to? 
Think about this for just a moment. James says this when he's talking about grace. He says, God's given out grace and he is like incredibly generous. But James is like, there's a little caveat. Chapter 4 verse 6 says this. He actually resists who? He resists the, the proud. And he embraces the, the humble. So there seems to be a little caveat here with God. So if you're full of pride, imagine this. You come to God. This scripture seems to suggest that God's going to kind of stiff arm you a little bit. And it actually makes sense if you just consider it for a moment. Because you're approaching God, but if you're riddled with pride and you're full of pride, here's what pride says. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I've got this. I've got my stuff together. It's the one thing that just doesn't make any sense if you intend to come towards God. In the New Testament, there's a gentleman who's described as the rich young ruler. And he comes up to Jesus. Tell me if you can smell the pride. He says, Jesus, I've fulfilled all of the laws since I was a young boy. Do you smell it? In other words, he's actually claiming sinlessness. Have you, met, have you ever met anyone in your life that you would say, they've never made a mistake? They've never sinned. I have yet to meet that person, and it's certainly not me. And that's what this rich young ruler does. He's riddled with pride. Jesus actually gives him this incredible, gracious invitation. He says, I want you to follow me, we're going to ask you to do one thing. And he has this word of discernment and knowledge that pokes right into the center of this rich young ruler's life and his head and his heart. Why is he so proud? Because he's loaded. He's rich. And so Jesus says to him, I would love for you to follow me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your wealth and I want you to give it all away. It's a very sad thing. We never, ever hear about the rich young ruler again. He can't do it. Why? Well, he's full of pride. There's only two categories. Number one, humble. Number two, hypocrite. I don't know that there's much in between those. And I'm going to suggest to you today that you're probably one or you're the other. A humble man. A humble woman. Now, I want to give you a correct view of what that means, because so oftentimes we have actually a messed up version of what we think humility is. Humility is not humiliation. Humility is not, I'm nothing. I'm just pond scum. Woe is, it's just that everyone else is great, and I'm just awful, and I'm just going to go around in life thinking that way about myself. It's not some kind of negative, I'm horrible, I'm less than everybody else. Humility thinks so much of God that it actually just thinks a little bit less about ourselves. And it certainly thinks less about us attempting to puff ourselves up or to elevate ourselves. Humility has such a close connection with God and such an appreciation of grace that when we make mistakes in life, humility is like the quickest person. It's like Usain Bolt to getting to God to say, God, I just messed up. I, I just like wounded you as my father. How could I have done that? So quickly I'm coming to God to say, Father, I, I really need your forgiveness. The proud person can't do that. 
Humility does that, and, and humility tends to do that quite rapidly because it just sees, oh my goodness, I actually need God's grace. I need it tremendously in my life. And as a result of that, there gives birth to this incredible tenderness about grace. Like you, tar- you start talking to a humble person about grace, they sometimes just get emotional kind of quickly. They're just kind of deeply moved by that. Kind of maybe even quickly to a place where they might even shed a tear when they really think about it. And then because of that, like the idea of serving and washing feet and, and giving and pouring out your life, it's like... Knowing what my father has done for me, that's not even a question for me. Of course I want to pour out my life. Of course I want to like bow down and just wash other people's feet and pour out what is being poured into me. That's not an option for me. That, that's humility. Title and position, like, you know, someone who's got a bit of clout, they're like foreign concepts to a humble man or a humble woman. Impressing people, kind of showing off the resume and like, look what I'm good at and displaying your skills or trying to like waltz around in church with a sense of like high spirituality, like I know stuff or I've got this kind of spiritual experiences in my, in my belt. Like for a humble person, it's like, what are you talking about? Why are you functioning like that? Because they're just quick to see their flaws, not in a way that like where they're beating themselves up in a way where they just go, oh, I'm so, so grateful for his grace. This is, this is incredible. Like, I messed up. That was me. Happy. I was wrong. I'm, I'm happy to admit it to God. I'm happy to admit it to anybody. I just need Christ. I need his mercy. In fact, I'm glad of it. Thank you, God. That's humility. That's a correct view, I, I hope and, and believe, of humility. Let me give you a correct view of the other, which is hypocrisy. Whew. You ready for this? I'm, I'm not joking you. This is rich, rich stuff. Hypocrisy is when you stand there accusing someone else of sin while you excuse your own sin. Look at you, you're a mess. But the reason why I made a mistake is because this and this and this and it's really not a big deal. That's hypocrisy. It's vital that we understand that Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. Let that sink in for a second. It's vital that we understand that Jesus didn't come to just... Look at you, you made a mistake. I'm just going to point out. And actually what we see in the New Testament, he does condemn people. Do you know who he condemns? Hypocrites. Like every time. So if you stand there, excusing your own sin, your junk, your mess, making excuses for it and justifying it, all the while you're pointing at someone else's weaknesses and flaws, that's hypocrisy. And God says... I actually stand in opposition to that. Rich young ruler, I have fulfilled all of the laws since I was a young man. Really, how about you give away a few pennies? I can't do it. Hypocrisy. He's filled with greed. He can't even see it. He's blind. And God stands in opposition to hypocrisy. He will look you in the face. He will look you in the eye. And because he loves you, because he cares about you, he's actually going to say the hard thing to you. He'll look at you and he'll say, you're being two-faced. A hypocrite will refuse to admit that he's being two-faced because they're too busy pretending to be and to have a righteousness that they actually are failing to live by. But they've got to put up a front that shows everybody that that's what they're doing. 
I'm righteous. I've got my stuff together. And here's the hard part. That pride is so prevalent that hypocrisy has done so much damage that that person just cannot see the flaws within themselves. And so they cannot deal with the corruption in their heart. Listen to this carefully. They cannot deal with the corruption in their heart because they're blinded to it. Because they must sort of coerce everyone and themselves to this self-righteousness thing that they've got going on. So they cannot deal with the corruption in their their own heart. And so if you were to ask them, do you have corruption in their heart? They would say, no, that they're righteous. And since now they have no mercy, why do they have no mercy? Because they don't ask God for mercy. Why? Because they're full of pride. I don't need your mercy. And because they have no mercy, now they have no mercy to give because it's not even in them. And now that person is under God's judgment. Now they're filled with judgment. So do you know what they do? They give judgment away. They've got plenty of it. That is what comes out of a a hypocrite. Now I'm indebted to one particular author, author, Francis Frangipan, for his writing on the subject. Look at what he says. He says, you cannot remain a hypocrite and find any kind of holiness in your life. The first step to actually being like Christ is to admit the fact that you're not as holy as you're trying to appear. You ever done it? Ever tried to appear holy? I think we try to put off the best version of us constantly, all the time. When we relay stories about anything, it just puts us up an inch taller than we actually are. The first step to being like Christ is to admit the fact that you're not as holy as you're trying to appear. And that first step is called humility. That's what it is. James says he resists the proud. He stiff arms them. You want to come to me like that? It's not going to work. He embraces the humble. Humility brings grace to our needs. And grace is the only thing that's going to change you. Humility is therefore the substructure of transformation. You want to be like Christ? It starts with humility. Here's the most normal thing in the, follower of, uh, in the life of a follower of Christ. Let me know if this explains you because I believe it is the most normal thing if you're following Jesus. That on a fairly regular basis in your life, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. And if sitting here today or watching online or in Alma, you're thinking, you know what? I can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit actually showed me the error of my ways in my life. That's a warning flag in your life. For me, it's almost on a daily basis. Alan, you've got got some growing up to do. You've got some more transformation that needs to take place in your life. Okay, how am I going to respond to that? Humility or hypocrisy? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, you're right. I admit it. All of that's in me. Would you mind coming and cleaning house again, Jesus? Or, no, Lord, I got it. To which God will go, okay, good luck with that. And no transformation takes place. For a day, for a week, for a month, for a year, I know Christians, individuals following Christ, and you look at their lives, and you look back at decades, and I'm like, I I don't see transformation because there's no humility. Look at John and answer this question. 
He encounters God. Is his response humility or hypocrisy? This is the book of Revelation. John's an old man. He sees God like supernatural, in-depth, looking at God. He can't actually get words to it. In fact, his attempts to describe are, he's like, it looks like something else. He can't even say what it is. He's like, I think it looks like something else. He's like, God's hair was like a sheep. It was like white, as, it was like snow. He can't even get words around it. His eyes, I don't know, it's like fire. It's like blazing fire. That's the best I can do to get words around what I'm looking at. His voice, mm, it's like rushing water. That's what I think it is. It's incredible. He's picturing God. This is a rare moment for anybody. And this is, what, this is his response. He says, Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He just comes down onto the ground. This is humility. This is response of humility in John. We bump into Isaiah centuries prior. He has another rare but very similar scenario where he sees God in his glory. And this is what Isaiah does. He just says, woe is me. I'm ruined. He's, he's actually crying out. He says, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. He knows the junk that's come out of his mouth. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's down on the ground in both scenarios. We see men who are very quick. They are rapid to acknowledge their sin before God. So what do you do at these crossroads in your life? What do you do when you encounter God? What do you do when you open up his word? What do you do when you open up your mouth and say, God, I'm going to pray to you right now. What do you do when you come into the house of God or you're at home watching online and it's time for us to worship and you're like, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm going to, I'm going to rend my heart to you. I'm going to give my heart to you. What do you do in that moment? How do you respond to the presence of God? Those who become Christ-like see their need in humility and they fall down on their knees. When you consider the one who made you, when you consider the one that you're coming to, to worship, and those hypocrites, they come into the presence of God, and already they are filled with excuses and justification, and they are blind, and they are reinforcing their own disobedience in the presence of God. How do you become like Christ? The fancy word for this in theology is, is sanctification, to be sanctified, to be made holy. Most people think that sanctification, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, is, it starts with rules. It's all about rules. Don't do this and do these things. And, and the list of don't do's is incredibly long and it's full of stuff that we want to do. Well, if you want to be holy, you got to do, you got to do this stuff and you got to stop doing that other stuff that you love to do. And I just think it's, it, that is the wrong starting block. I just don't think that's it at all. It does not start with rules. It starts with this. It starts with the forsaking of pride in our lives. Purity begins with the refusal to hide the true condition of our hearts. And that's when you will make the honest self-discovery. And you humble yourself. At that reality of who you are. And you become meek. True Christ-likeness begins to grow. And God says, now I'm going to bless you. He opens up this treasure chest 
of his patience and his care and his word and his direction and his leadership and his mercy and his forgiveness. He's like, I'm dumping this grace on top of you. This is what he means when he says the meek will inherit the earth. This is what he means when he says meek people will actually be blessed because they're humble and now they approach God. They see themselves and their flaws and God says, I got you. The blind beggar lying on the side of the road. Son of man. Any chance you could have mercy on me? No problem. I got a treasure chest of grace I'm going to dump on, on you right now. And if we won't be honest with ourselves, if we just keep justifying and excusing and filling ourselves with pride, but the truth of our own weaknesses and our own flaws and our own disobedience, do you know what you become? You become a Christian Pharisee. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Pharisees in the New Testament. These were the guy, the guys who looked like they had it all together and were all about the rules. Were looking down their noses at everybody and they were self-made, self-righteous and judging everybody. And Jesus had more than one or two run-ins with these guys. And they hated Jesus. They were, hypo they were hypocrites, full of self-righteousness and contempt. And here's where that leads to. If you begin to enter into the role of a, of a Christian Pharisee, it, it's this index finger right here. You go around living your life for Jesus, filled with self-righteousness, and very quick, this finger comes out. And now you just start pointing it at everybody and everything. And it's judgment, judgment, judgment. And I got to tell you this. It is the most distasteful thing for people who don't know Christ. In fact, it's almost Christianity's reputation. Every time you judge another Christian, you do so with an attitude of self-righteousness. Every time you look at another church and you look down your nose at it and you judge it, the bride of Christ, contempt is the motive behind your words. It's not healing. It's not love. It's my church is better and I can't believe they do that or speak that or preach that. And in all of that judgment, you'll find Christians who are utterly convinced. Here's the thing. Here's how blind they are. They're utterly convinced that they're doing the right thing. They literally are like, oh, I have the gift, I have the ministry of, you know, setting people straight. You know what? You can keep that ministry to yourself, thank you very much. They think they're actually being holy, but it's the exact opposite of holiness because they have a glaring blind spot. They lack humility. Is this making sense, church? This is rich, rich stuff. As if that weren't challenging enough, it actually is even more sneaky than that. Watch how this will try to needle its way into your life. I have just stated that humility is found in the place where you realize your, an awareness of your need for God. Right? You look at yourself, you're like, <laughs> yeah, holy what? Holy mess. That's what I am. Right? This is where humility goes. Oh, it starts kicking in. You go, I need some help because I don't think I can clean myself up. Pride do you know where it wants to enter in? Man, this is so sneaky. Pride and hypocrisy will actually try to enter your life at a place of high spirituality. Humility kicks in when you feel like, oh Lord, I see my weakness and my flaws. I need you. Praise God. Pride kicks in when you're just praising Jesus and you're doing the hallelujah dance and you're reading scripture and God's speaking to you and you're taking a class and you read a book of the Bible and you've never read that book of the Bible before and you walk away and you say, I just read a book of the Bible. 
God just spoke to me. I have this spiritual knowledge now. I learned some Greek today. Got some Hebrew down. Did you know Hebrew? I know Hebrew. You don't know Hebrew? Oh, you don't know Hebrew. I know Hebrew. What is that? Here's what it looks like. You read a bit of Bible, and because of his incredible grace, God actually blesses you and speaks to you and touches your life, and you walk away, and your head gets bigger, and you're filled with arrogance and pride because of God's kindness. You find yourself lost in worship, like deeply moved, genuinely touched by the Holy Spirit. And rather than just treasuring that between you and God, you carefully and cunningly kind of slide your worship experience into a conversation with a friend that makes you look pretty spiritual. Do you remember what Jesus said in that scripture that we looked at earlier? That little hidden bit in the middle. He said, I want you to learn from me. I am meek and I'm lowly of heart. There's this moment in the New Testament. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, here's a, a word that gets overused, but it actually fits for this scenario. It is an epic moment in the New Testament. Jesus goes up this mountain. There's two disciples with him. And the presence of God falls. And Jesus starts, <laughs> he starts glowing. He's glowing. When's the last time you did that? And then, all of a sudden, Moses is there. Moses died centuries ago. Elijah appears. He went up to heaven on a chariot of fire. And they're there. And then God comes. It's the second time in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the Father speaks audibly. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm so pleased with. It is an epic moment. The disciples don't know what to do. They actually give some really ridiculous counsel in that moment. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and this is what the Bible says. Jesus bumps into all the disciples, and Jesus is like, check it out. I'm glowing. Did you see me? Hey, let's go to a dark cave, and I'm just going to do a twirl. It's going to be sweet, guys. Did you see Moses? He's dead. Okay, that's not really in the Bible at all. Jesus doesn't speak like that at all. Humility at an incredible spiritual high. I was listening to a, a pastor online, and they teach a class in a very, very large church. It's actually a class we teach here called Freedom. And he said, he, he tried a warning flag for his church. He said, here's what I've noticed. People take this class. They're in a group together. It's great. Like God like shows up during this time of ministry and this transformation taking place and people are getting set free. It's pretty phenomenal stuff. And here's, he, he just waved the warning flag in a huge mega church. And he just goes, I got to tell you this. I keep seeing people coming out of that class and they're full of pride. Because like they, they learn so much. They grow so much. He says, you're full of pride. We, got, we can't be doing that. You ever hear it? Ever said it? Well, well I grew up in this denomination. We read this version of the Bible. The right ver. This is what real worship. I mean this is what it really looks like. This is how we're supposed to do the. Anyone see anything like that in the word of God. That would encourage you to speak like that or think like that. 
I was taught to have an emphasis on this scripture, this kind of theology. (laughs) What is that? Can you smell the judgment? Can you pick up the spiritual pride in that kind of talk and thinking? And Jesus says, you need to learn from me. I'm meek and I'm lowly of heart. Like Jesus, we must delight in being lowly of heart. To actually delight in that. We're quicker to serve somebody than we are to brag about ourselves. Even clever little bragging, spiritual bragging. We're quicker to ask forgiveness than to make excuses or to think highly of ourselves. We're quick to tears because people around us start talking about his grace and we're just like, oh my goodness, I genuinely know that I need that badly in my life. Hypocrites love to judge, not you. You see, high experiences with God, transfiguration moments, coming into his presence and being deeply moved and being taught wonderfully by God's word, it actually causes you to be filled with more humility. Low experiences and realizing your weakness and your fallibility brings and introduces humility into your life. But then high experiences, instead of bringing you to a place of pride and giving you the warning flag right now, you experience these high moments with God and something in you just goes, God, I can't believe you do that for me. Your love's just so incredible. I'm so humbled by this high experience with God. I refuse to go down a road of arrogance and self-righteousness. What does Jesus say about the judgment thing? The most famous verse in the Bible is John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The very next verse, after the most famous verse in the entire Bible, says this. This is what Jesus says about the whole judgment thing. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Let us sink in. He didn't send Jesus from heaven to earth to just condemn everybody, but to save the world through him. The challenge in this is profound. If there's one person who actually had the right to judge, if there was one guy who could have judged, it would have been Jesus, the guy who never sinned. He's actually the only person who legitimately could actually point his finger, but he doesn't. What does he do instead? Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Oh, listen to this, church. Anytime... Anytime you are ready to pull out your index finger and you're ready to judge someone, the first question you have to immediately ask yourself is, am I ready to die for that person? Am I willing to do anything I could to save them before I just pull this index finger out of my pocket and just judge them? Anybody can find fault. It takes half a brain to look at anything or anyone and say, well, you could have done it better or to poke holes in something. That's not a hard thing to do in life. But can you save somebody? Can you lay down your life? Can you fast and pray and serve and wash their feet and love them unconditionally to the point that the thing that you want to judge that seems so horrible and so wrong and so erroneous, you look at them and you say, I'm going to be so committed to this person's salvation that I see that ugly thing inside of them actually come to the point where it blossoms and it comes to life and there's transformation in their life. That's a different kind of thing than just pulling out your finger and judging them. But Jesus condemned, didn't he? So I can condemn people. 
Yeah, Jesus did actually condemn. He condemned sin. But the sin that we must condemn first is the sin of just judging other people. How about we start there? And I'll tell you why. Because if you go around in your life acting like judge and jury, if you're quick to open up your mouth for the sole purpose of just pointing out flaws, that will be the very thing that obscures your vision to discern sin in you. You'll never become more like Christ by walking around criticizing other people. Nobody is brought nearer to God by the ministry of fault-finding. What if instead of going around judging people, we just went around in like high-octane, crazy mercy mode? Being so aware of your own need for mercy that you just go around in life just looking for opportunities to show mercy to other people. Yes, Jesus judged men in certain situations, but what was his motive? It was never, gotcha. It was never, haha, look, you're caught. It was never, look at what she did, look at what he did. It was never, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to let you know right now. It was this throbbing heart, longing and looking to help them and to heal them and to restore them. And how far does that motive in Jesus actually play out? Well, that would be the giving of his life. What if we did that instead of judging? What if we just copied that in Jesus instead of the index finger? My love for this person, even in the middle of their gross horrible error that's hurting themselves or hurting other people is that much like Jesus Christ, I'm just not going to leave them or forsake them. And here's the big warning. If you're sitting here today insisting on your rights to find fault, beware of Christ's very high standards on that one. Because he gives us a perfect illustration the Pharisees throw down this woman in front of everybody. She has been caught red-handed. Is she guilty? Yeah, she is. She's probably clinging to her sheets. Caught embarrassingly in the middle of sexual sin. And now it's out in front of everybody in the street for public entertainment and public consumption. For all of those who are ready to judge and to shame and it's nasty. And Jesus goes, really? Here's the bar. John chapter 8. He who is without the first sin. You go ahead and throw that first stone. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Does anyone know the back end of that scripture? Yeah. Christ died for us. The Bible does not say. And when you got your act together, Christ died for you. And when you cleaned up your mess, Christ died for you. And when you pulled the wool over God's eyes and finally convinced him that you are self-righteous, then Jesus died for you. It just doesn't say that. While you were still a sinner, Jesus says, now I'm going to lay down my life for you. Author Francis Frangipani puts it like this. In the kingdom of God, unless you're first committed to die for people, you're not permitted to judge them. Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn sinners, but he did condemn hypocrites. What did he do with sinners? <laughs> I love this about Jesus. I love it. What did he do with sinners? 
he ate with them. Hey, I'm going to your house. Matthew, he's a tax collector. Nobody liked him. Hey, Matthew, come and follow me. All right, what are we doing? We're throwing a party. Oh, nobody lets me into parties. That's okay. It's at your house. <laughs> That's where we're going, buddy. I want you to invite every crooked, shameful person that you know, and we're going to hang. This is what he does. What does Jesus do with sinners? He says, come and follow me. And then he forgives them. And then he counts himself among them. So much so that he was called a friend of church, a friend of sinners. How's that for humility? Holiness personified. You can call me a friend of sinners. And then he says, and now I will bear your sin. Learn from me. For I am meek and lowly of heart. Online, we're going to break bread right now. I want to encourage you to get some crackers or if you have some bread and uh, if you have something to drink, some juice or something like that. For those of you who are gathered here, right in front of you in the chair, there's one little packet. And let me explain it to you very quickly if I could. Uh, it's, you got to look at it very carefully. There's a really small piece of plastic on the front. It's like two layers. And if... In a moment, you peel off the top, you'll get a little bit of bread. And then the second one under that is the juice. So let's uh, still our hearts before the Lord and let's pray. Jesus, you have set before us a pattern of humility that is simply breathtaking. As creator, as king, you emptied yourself of every privilege. And you became a bondservant. God, how vile and how dark is my pride in the light of that. So as we come to break bread right now, we humble ourselves in your sight. We humble ourselves in the sight of your humility. And I pray, Lord, even in this moment as we come around the table of the Lord, that we would learn from you. We see you, Jesus, meek, lowly of heart, humble, to the point where you went to the cross. So we thank you, Father, for your broken body. Let's partake of the bread together. celebrate this new covenant, this new promise of life and freedom with Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, as we head out of here today, that we would do so ready to serve, ready to wash feet, filled with humble hearts, that we would be a winsome and attractive aroma of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, and the whole church together said, Amen. Blessings and love, everyone.